Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Super real. Hey, I'm Julian Morgans, and you're listening to What It Was Like, the show that asks people who have lived through big, dramatic events what it was like. Hey, and welcome back to another episode. Today's show takes us to the nation of Brunei. So, quick little geography lesson. Look up Indonesia, and as you know, it's like this little, it, well, big actually, it's this giant sprawl of islands. And Borneo is the largest of these islands. And if you look at the top of Borneo, you can see this like little crumb, this like little postage stamp on the northern coast. And that part of Borneo is Brunei. And what you need to know about Brunei is it's incredibly rich. It's got these massive oil reserves, which explains how in the late 1980s, the the country's sultan actually became the richest man in the world. This was a guy named Hassanel Bolkiah, whose family ruled this tiny, tiny little country perched on the edge of Borneo. But this episode is not actually about the sultan. No, we're going to be talking about the sultan's brother. Okay, bear with me. I know that we've gone through a geography lesson and now we're doing like a bit of a family tree here, but we're talking about the sultan's brother, who we're going to call throughout this episode, Prince Jeffrey. That was his name. And he was the playboy of the family. Now, keep in mind that Brunei is its a very conservative Islamic place. But Prince Jeffrey, you wouldn't describe his tastes as conservative. When I was doing a bit of research for this episode, I actually found this article published on Vanity Fair a few years ago. Um, it's all about Prince Jeffrey. And the headline for the article was, The Prince That Blew Through Billions. And it talks about Jeffrey's truly, like, just bizarre appetite for consumption. I mean, he sort of lived the way that a 16-year-old boy might live if the kid, like, won the lottery or something. As an example, Prince Jeffrey had a fleet of yachts, and he named one of them Tits. And then he had another one, he called it Nipple One, and then he had Nipple Two. 
He also imported polo ponies and riders from Argentina so that he could play against the best. The guy was a bit of a, a polo nerd, apparently. In fact, he actually he played against Prince Charles once. And he lived in this vast 1,788-room palace spread across 49 acres. And the family actually flew in Michael Jackson to play at the Sultan's 50th birthday party. This kind of just illustrates how astonishingly rich they were. They actually built this whole stadium, like a sports stadium, just to host Michael Jackson to play at the dad's birthday. And of course, unsurprisingly, there was a harem of call girls. Now, this was Jeffrey's little private project. He actually had his people comb the world for women who, who suited his criteria, basically rounded up and brought back to Brunei, just so he could keep this group to attend his parties and you know provide sexual favors. So we've got to the point of today's episode, because we're talking to a woman who spent three years as part of Prince Jeffrey's harem. Her name's Gillian Lauren, and she grew up in New Jersey, and she studied acting before getting work as an escort. And then one day, she got invited to a strange audition for a job in Southeast Asia. And that's how she ended up in Brunei. And Gillian wrote an incredible book about all this. That's where I first came across this story. The book's called uh, Some Girls, My Life in a Harem. You should definitely check it out. So today, we're going to talk about what it's like being an escort for a billionaire prince. Gillian tells us about how she lived at the palace and, and what Jeffrey's parties were like and what she learned about the world of just extreme, endless consumption. And then at the end, we're actually going to do this. Uh, it's a, like a bit of a thematic twist, a bit of a curveball, because we end up talking about serial killers. Because in a strange through line, Prince Jeffrey left Gillian with an interest in cruelty. And it was something that she saw in Prince Jeffrey, and it just slowly led her into an interest in serial homicide. So we'll get to that at the end. Anyway, without further ado, here's Gillian Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. So we're going to jump back in time and space, back to when you were 18 years old and you were working mm -hmm. as a high-end escort, and then you got invited to a mysterious audition. Tell me about that. Yes. I was a stripper at the Kit Kat Club on 56th and Broadway. Oh, wow. Look, I brought that one up. I met a woman who said, you know, dancing at that club, you're not making any money. You're going to ruin your knees. You know, come and come to this audition. It's at the Ritz. We'll go together. And it's to go entertain rich men in Singapore. Just dance and sing. You know, you're a song and dance girl. They did tell me a couple of days before all my visas had gone through and I was leaving that. I, in fact, that was not where I was going. I was going to Singapore and then I was going on from there to a country called Brunei where I was being invited by uh, the younger brother of the richest man in the world who was the Sultan of Brunei at the time. So Prince Jeffrey was his youngest brother. He was a playboy brother of the family and he got a little taste for American girls and ordered up a couple, and I just happened to be one of them. I was like, the prince of where? Yeah. And at this time, um, you know, there was an internet, but barely. Yeah. So I went to the New York Library, and I went and started looking at Brunei. And what did you learn? I learned it is a small sultanate in Southeast Asia that their money is oil money, that that it's the richest country in the world it was at the time. Bill Gates knocked him. 
Okay, so you went to this audition and... I got the job. I, I, I'm not stupid. I was like, I'm not being hired as a diplomat. Yeah. I am being, you know, hired as essentially some kind of prostitute. Yeah, sure. Right? So, so my understanding is you told your parents that you, you were doing a film shoot in Singapore. You weren't very, yep. you weren't really honest with a bunch of your friends and family about why you were departing on a plane. But that was it. Yeah, right. Yeah, my parents thought I was, my parents thought I was going to shoot a movie with Michael Douglas in Singapore. <laughs> you didn't I, have I, to add that detail. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even think I said it. I think I said I was shooting a music video with George Michael, and it turned into Michael a movie Douglas. with Michael Douglas. Your dad's like, like, I've never heard of George Michael, but I have heard of Michael Douglas. <laughs> shooting a movie with that Michael Douglas. Go ride that star at the top, honey. Uh, and I'm like, oh, God. Um, I'm going to hell. sold into sex work in Brunei. I'm it's so different. I was like, I deserve it. I'm just going to hell right now. But yeah, that's what my parents thought. Tell me about arriving and and um, your first impressions yeah. of the place. Well, um, it was frightening. I, you know, walking into this Muslim country where, you know, your head had to be covered. And I was with the madam um, and one other girl. We were the first two girls to go to Brunei. Um, first two American girls, oh. I guess. So, you know, I'm, I'm shuffling through this airport and covering my head and um and on the wall like giant billboards there's the sultan and each one of his wives on either side of him and huge pictures of the royal family and then men show up who look like i'm like oh this looks like a spy movie these look like security guys wow. and i'm like I was just like, of course they're the Secret Service. Yeah, yeah. Look at the walls of the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, these are your employers, lady. And like, wake up. I mean, like, that was my first real feeling of like, yeah, fucked up. Yeah, yeah. That's an intimidating thing to Well, they to. take your pat they take your passport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Immediately. And I, I and I said no. Like, no, you can't buy passport. And they were like, well, you know, your visa needs to be updated. And if it's not updated, then, you know, you're committing a crime. That sounds like in a foreign country. That sounds like lies. They took, they took everybody's passports. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't freedom. There wasn't freedom to use the phone. Mm. There wasn't freedom to come and go. There was, I mean, if you want to move from the airport fast to the palace where we lived, you know, it was a palace and it was a prison. I don't want to be too cliche yeah, about yeah, yeah. the golden cage, but yeah, you know, I mean, you, you're under armed you would guard have, at all times. You would have represented a, a, a big security vulnerability for them. You know, this is a nation state, very conservative as well. If they'd, if it had got out that they're bringing sex workers over from the U.S. and How about you know, teenagers, 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 uh, no less. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and this is a conservative Muslim country. That would have so you can see why they they gave you the pretty uh, heavy duty treatment with the with their version of the CIA or whatever or who whoever it was. So so you mm -hmm. get taken from the airport to the palace. You know what what, what does the mm -hmm. palace look like? It looks like Aladdin. I. It looks like you know C CGI. If I think about it now, 
the guest house I lived in, and there were 12. There were- 12 guest houses. 12 guest houses, four tennis courts, three pools, and the main palace, which had a bowling alley, ballroom, uh, you know, Picasso's, Degas. And all of this, you know what this was? It was his rec room. This is basically like his TV room. Wow. It's your den. Man cave. I know. It's like, that's where just, it, this was his man cave. There were no wives who lived there. Nobody lived there but us. Really? You know? Okay. Yeah, only the girls and, and the and the servants. I mean, that's stupid their... stupid wealth. Like, we hear about rich people, you know, we've all seen, like, real housewives and stuff. But this is money on a whole new level. It is money. This is the only way I can explain it. It's money that you will never in your life have to ask, can I have something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All you have to say is, what do I want? So let's, uh, so, so when you first met him, uh, what was your what was your impression? I know that in the book you talk about his eyes, uh, about his smell. Walk me through some of that stuff. I mean, I met the prince at the parties. He threw these parties every night, and at these part that's what I'm saying. Why wouldn't you do something else? Yeah, yeah. Movies. Oh my gosh, he threw these parties every night. These lavish parties. And then there were, you know, between 30 and 40 women, most of them from Southeast Asian countries, not Brunei, uh, Indonesia, Thailand, the Philippines, um, little Singapore. There was one actor from Hong Kong. Um, his main girlfriend was from the Philippines. Then there was me and Serena from the U.S. Okay. and the madam. Okay, sure. And they would, and they would drink i mean there's no drinking allowed yeah drinking's illegal right Al oh yeah alcohol flowed you can get the diet pills from the doctor yeah. you could you know and um you know and the girls danced and he and they were a harem it yeah it was a harem it's an old school harem um it was, yeah. I mean, a harem traditionally really actually just means the area of the house where the women live. So there could be harems that aren't like a king who has a whole bunch of girlfriends, you know, getting slutty and drunk every night. Yeah. It could just mean there's a part of your house that where the women live and a part of your house where the men live. But... What we think of as a harem, I used it in a somewhat poetic sense. It sure looked like that. Okay, right. And and these parties, they took place in like a grand ballroom or like a bedroom or a living... What am I imagining here? Describe the, the, the decor. <laughs> Depended on if he got... Because uh, he would always take like one girl out of the party every night okay, okay so it was like who got taken out of the party got became a whole thing okay. created a lot of drama it was a giant ballroom okay all right and i'm imagining let's like of- it did hey it was a disco there's a big disco ball there are low um you know as if you're in the champagne okay, lounge yeah, nice. and you're diddy and there are these low couches all around and champagne. And in each sort of area of couch, the couch and coffee table would be girls from each country. Yeah, okay. The countries didn't mix very much. That was just me. <laughs> really? I just, yeah. Well, I guess, it was, I guess it was, people- It was frowned upon. 
Okay, but but I guess you'd also just had more in common if you're from Thailand or something. You'd hang out with the Thai girls because you know you kind of grew up in the same culture uh, and language. Yeah, and language. That's right. They didn't speak English, so there would be, be these parties, and that was where I first met him. And he would, you know, take you out. And so, you know, were were they sometimes in a bedroom? Yes. Were they sometimes in a giant bath the size of a pool? Once or twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know. So in the book, I found it really interesting how you described, you know, he was very fastidiously clean. He always doused himself in Kelvin Klein. You know, this guy. Egoist. Yeah. I still, I still, I don't know. It smell is a weird thing. Memory is a weird thing. Absolutely. Ego, egoist. I still, I get a fond feeling. Oh, really? If you smell that. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. You know, he was slight of build. Got it. Okay. Um, but he wasn't effeminate. Okay. Uh, he was very, like, he was real weaselly. Yeah. He had a real weaselly look in his eye, and he had this mustache, which didn't help. What was the what was the single most like salubrious, luxurious, crazy rich moment in that entire experience? It was a shopping trip. Tell me about it. I was sent with. Uh, the prince's first girlfriend, Fiona, um, and we were sent to Singapore for a shopping trip. And a shopping trip is they shut the entire mall down for you. And you are sent around with a bodyguard full, like with a Louis Vuitton sack full of cash. My God. Um, Like at first I was, and I'm, I'm fairly thrifty. Like I'm not that impressed with like designer stuff, but. Even I was like, whoa, like Chanel gowns were, you know, $30,000. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. And I, so I was like trying it on and like, oh, maybe I'll take that. Maybe I'll take that. And the guard took me aside and said, you may only get to shop one time in your life. Take it all. Wow. Wow. Hey, we're just going to stop here for a quick ad break, but stick around. We'll be right back with more What It Was Like. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I know he was just so he was like so sick of me being finicky he was just like take the stuff and run and I just really heard him and yeah. I was just like take it take it take I'll it take, take it take, I'll take it, that take I'll it. take all of it yeah how amazing I that know. he just called it shopping like this for him nothing yeah, beneath said, this constituted shopping you may only shop you may only shop once in your life yeah 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 uh, yeah I know, of course, you know, the punk rocker and general morbid depressive in me was like weeping when I got back to the room and like like children in Bangladesh died so I could have this day. And now I look back and I'm like, girl, have a little fun Just once have in a, a while. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> like lighten up. Also, I don't think Louis Vuitton make their stuff in Bangladesh. So I think you. Well, I think your theory. Still, you is know, wrong. I still have those bags. Really? And now that yeah. Do you still use them? Now they're kind. Of, yeah. Yeah, they're probably cool in nineties now. You know the ones that are that I gave away in some cleansing ritual uh, with my Chanel's. I had damn. those original quilted Chanel's. Uh, I know, and I know I gave them to a babysitter. That babysitter right now is is so happy, still happy. That was absolutely the most. That's crazy. Like crazy. I mean, or do you count like dinner with King Fod, where you just sit there like, what yeah, yeah, is yeah. happening to me right now? Well, <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I think getting to rub shoulders with big shots from around the world, like, you know, the, the who's who of global despots and monarchs. What did you learn about that, that culture? Like, who are the people at the top? You know, I mean, it's the, it was their connection with the English royals, I think, that they were mostly concerned with. Most proud um, of. There definitely seemed to be an interchange there. They were was, they would, like, bring us come see the polo games because he was quite a polo player and, like, show off. So, you know, I think I think that connection is really important. But any, anything with oil was just, yeah. you know, it's oil, oil, oil. It, it's all about their oil reserves. Um, you know, and and then how that money circulates. Were there were there like corporate people, like CEOs, or, or like people associated with like Exxon Mobil who'd come to the these events? Yeah. No, 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 not to the, not to the parties. Not to the parties, but you'd see them at the polo. 
Yes, they'd be at Polo, and, and there was a particular hotel they stayed at as well, and we knew about them, but they weren't in inner circle. Exxon is not inner circle enough. Like, you better you better be bringing him a Lamborghini from God knows where to get invited to the parties. You know the, the, the conspiracy theorists who just say that uh, it's all connected at the top and, you know, the, the royal families are all just holding hands with the, with the various CEOs in the in the C-suites mm. of all these oil companies. It feels yeah. to me like there's there's something to that. Hearing you talk about it, they're all friends. What else would make sense? Of course they're all friends. Yeah. I'm always, somehow, with all I've been through, I'm the eternal optimist, you know? Um, and my husband's just like, when are you going to realize that you were like a leg of chicken, like, these people don't care about you, don't care about anything, don't care about anything but money. Like, they have their polo ponies executed before their insurance policies what? go up. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think that they're brutal. I think that they're selfish, greedy, hypocritical. Um, every single one of them believe entitled. Yeah. You know, and different. They're different. They're different. Me. Yeah. They are different. You know, I mean, the, the prince wore a, a scroll around his neck. His name is like 90,000 characters long. It's like Prince Jeffrey Hassan al the bloody knife. Wow. You know? And uh, I'll probably get death threats That's all just right. doing that. That wasn't racist. It wasn't. I'm just saying it wasn't. Uh, it's a long name. It's a really long name. <laughs> and uh, he wears in this scroll around his neck, and he, and he used to like write on my skin with this scroll. I never knew exactly what he was writing, but I just sort of felt like it was a brand, basically. Okay. It was like, a that's brand. That's how brand. Yeah, like I felt like that's how he branded people. Like I own you. Oh God. Um, and I, I, yeah, they, you know, I mean, they believe they're divinely, they are divinely chosen to lead. Jesus. But uh, it, you know, they do think they're different than you. Isn't it amazing that the human capacity for ego? It's not like our brains ever get sick of this one like form of dopamine. Mm. It's not like these guys ever get bored of just thinking how good they are. They, they can carry oh, no. on for decades with this this mode of thought oh yeah oh, oh absolutely and, and you know the thing i think about robin to me that you know, when i said i really fell for the guy right um and this is it, robin it, it was, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah it was the money sure it was the it was the craziest situation it was also like what was i gonna do and i'm kind of a fighter so put me in a situation where i'm gonna fight you know I'll fight for him. And, um, but when I think about it, like how unhappy he was touched me in some way. So when you say that Prince Jeffrey was unhappy, are you, you're basically suggesting that the cause of his unhappiness was, was just that he could have, there was no struggle in his life. There was no, there was no satisfaction of earning anything. Yes. And also there was a like rapaciousness to his appetites. Right. And I'm like that. Too, you know, probably. he was just like he's probably I, in a I different league to your appetite. Big bite out of life. Yeah, I would. I don't 
know. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. He's, in, uh, you know, I I have a pretty big appetite. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. I'm not a sex addict. Sure. You know, but my appetite for life is rapacious. Right. I would never have gone to Brunei. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, absolutely. You know. So so I kind of want to finish this chapter up and um. So, I mean, it's like, I think there will be a lot of people who hear this and they're just thinking, wow, that sounds like paradise to me. You can go shopping with a sack of cash. Unbelievable. Right. Everyone says that. Yeah. How do I get that job? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, you've described that it's essentially hollow. But how did it end and, and why did it end? They broke up. You and Jeffrey broke up. I left and went back. And so you went back leaving to the States was, and then you came back. I went back to the States okay. and went back and I did. I, I stayed for way too long. And that's essentially a cardinal sin, especially for a narcissist. Not that I'm a, a professional diagnostician, but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty safe one there. Um, and uh, anyway, so when I came back, I just wasn't at the same, you know, level of position. I was just, you know, kind of one of the girls. There was no chase. He was like, she came back. She really wants me. And also, there was a new one. Right. It was, uh, you know, so, I mean, I probably could have hung out there with my feet up because we were friends. Like, like you said, I made him laugh. Yeah, yeah. Like, we were funny i mean that's that was a rare thing there yeah but um in any case it was over it was time to go home like what happened to my dreams what happened to my school what happened to anything like i was just like i like i was a person who really cared about something and wanted something and now i'm a person who like i don't understand yeah and and it felt very hard for me to care about things again Right. So there wasn't uh, like an emotional breakup. Was there a catalyst for your departure? I knew I was starting to get unstable. Okay. And a little wild. You know, I I crashed a golf car. <laughs> Just for fun? No, because I pulled it into our garage port and I thought it was pressing the brake. Ah, uh, yeah. And it was and the accelerator. I pressed the accelerator. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then I, I cracked my nose on the on the steering wheel of the golf cart. And and just things like that, you know. My friend Deborah and I took a tumble down the stairs where I wound up sitting at the bottom of them in front of a Picasso going like, Girl, you gotta pull your act together. Like, for how long are you gonna do this? And then when you get home, how how far are you behind everyone else who's been working on life? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's good that you so, recognize that within yourself. You're like, I've been here too long. This is this is getting old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I say. You know, young women talk to me who are doing sex work, and um. Young women talk to me who are thinking about it. I, I always steer them away if any if there's any other possibility. Um, and uh, and they talk to me about it and they're doing it. And I'm like, well, girl, you know, properly done, you get out fast. Yes. You know, when people are like, when's your next harem book coming out? I'm like, no, no, no. I did it right the first time. 
Yeah, that's right. That you only have to do one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a good way to do it. And then I got way. out yeah. and went to college, got married, had kids, blah, blah, not to make everything a marriage plot, but like made a life for myself yeah. that didn't, you know, didn't have to look like that. Was was there, um, and I you know, your life has so many twisting turns you know, we could, it'll take a while to sort of paraphrase the the bits between leaving Brunei and like where you are these days. But I, I just kind of want to wrap up that chapter with with one question. And, and that is what, what did you learn from that? Or like what stayed with you aside from some of the handbags in the years since? I got a tough skin writing the book, writing the book, Some Girls. I got a lot of blowback for that. I wrote a pretty critical book about a Muslim dictator um, and I got a lot of slut shaming and I sort of learned to hold my head up you know and just I would walk into events with Scott you know and just go just hold your head up Scott's and your husband dare, Scott is my husband yeah. just be like dare them to think poorly of you yeah just dare them you know and and so I got that um, and I got, my takeaway was writing. My takeaway was patience. I mean, maybe those hours spent forced, locked in a room made me go to a place in my mind that grew as a result and made me a better writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy to me that a lot of people, you know, thousands of people out there read this book and walked away the the overriding feeling was that you'd criticized this this muslim and that was their that was their thing and more than that you know i i know robin and i know he'd like that book yeah do you think I he's mean, read it no one yeah oh yeah you think he's read his it's, he's read the book oh are you kidding yeah yeah, he probably gobbled yeah. that up. He's... I've heard, I've heard back about it oh, really? actually from some people who still talk to him. Can you tell yeah. me anything? And I, I heard he liked it. Yeah. Well, there you go. I, I there you he go, would. critics. You know, he liked I the didn't... book. Well, I want to look. Let, let's uh, let's get into you know your your more recent history. I mean, just broadly, tell me about your interest in serial killers. Uh, I have always been interested in criminal deviants of. Any kind, pretty much. My father was a professional gambler. Yeah. Um, and uh, he and I were very close, so I, I was drawn to that. You know, so that's how I became interested in crime. Yeah. And in the psychology and, and the neuroscience of crime, that led to a particular niche interest in, you know, antisocial personality disorder. Cool. Okay, okay. That's good. So, so some girls about your time in the harem. That was your first book, mm-hmm. and in some ways, I that guess that was book. yeah. That sort of opened the door um, to your next career as an author. So, this is the book you're working on at the moment. Uh, no, it is the book I am holding in my hand right now, sir. Oh, I love Here this. Here it is. Behold the monster. Okay. Yes. Behold the monster, uh, and the story is. America's most prolific serial killer, Samuel Little, confessed to me, essentially, as a journalist. Got it. Okay, okay. 
And and so tell me a little bit about Sam, and also tell me about how you know did you start writing letters to him? How did this how did this relationship evolve? We started writing each other letters. You know, I, told him I was interested in violence. I thought that he might be somebody. You know, he seems like a very smart person with a very interesting case that nobody paid attention to. Um, you know, just play, play, play to the flattery to the ego. Like you play to the ego. This is probably probably a lesson that you'd learned in Brunei. It's the lesson I learned the day I was born. I yeah. think. How many people did he kill, or how many was he charged with? There are ninety-three confessions. Wow. There are sixty-one solves. Oh my God. Which makes him the most prolific serial killer in American history, as far as the FBI has has cleared. Or exceptional cleared cases. What a, yes. what a sicko! So that is, that's too many people. That's one word. But in order to talk to him, I had to, I just see him as human. I had to connect with him. I had to. Yeah. You know, or yeah, he yeah, wouldn't yeah. have talked to me, or he wouldn't have trusted me. You can't get bullshit by this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's fascinating. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm. I'm looking forward to reading. All right. So my last question here is that it seems to me that through your life, you've, whether inadvertently or deliberately, you have encountered or been attracted to just just men of varying qualities. Like there's a lot of shitty men in this story. Um, you know, this this Sam guy is is uh, king among them. Uh, what's what's that about? Are you trying to are you trying to understand? I think. Give me a moment for this one. That's a tough question. Why are there so many violent men in my life? Okay. Um, you know, so I wouldn't say I manifested uh, a life that was especially violent, but there were patterns created in my mind. You know, there were neurological patterns that associated love with violence. From right. a very young age. And if you are exposed to violence by the people who are meant to take care of you, you will, just like I said with the prince, you're going to side with them, not yourself, yeah. because you're keeping yourself safe. You've now gone into survival mode. You're now in your limbic lizard brain, just fighting yeah. for your life. Um so uh, why I would say I there wasn't a why. I mean there wasn't yeah, a why. Yeah. You know, I mean I think my job is to make the why now. The why, why? happens okay. now. You know, yeah, why okay. did it happen? Because I'm the one who could write this book because I was the one who yes. could sit across from that son of a bitch. Behold the monster is my why. You can find me on Instagram. Jillian Lauren, you can find me, Jilly Lauren on Twitter, <laughs> Jillian Lauren on Facebook, and I have a new TikTok channel. So check out my TikTok channel. I think it's exciting. Yeah. I, I'm excited about I read some serial killer fan letter because Sam left me all his possessions. So I have all his fan letters. Wow. Um, and all his art. It's amazing. And all his ashes and all the rest of it. Well, Gillian Lauren, I have loved this conversation. I, have I found too. this so interesting. And thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking, hey, I've got a story that's uh, that's pretty cool, something that could work for this show, you know, something interesting but surprising, a little bit unique, please get in touch, hit me up. I'm always looking for story suggestions or feedback or, you know, whatever you got. I'm Julian Morgans on Instagram and Morgans Julian on X. And you know what? We'd love you to follow the show. You know the, the follow button on whatever your podcast app is? Just press that. We'll be eternally grateful. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Just a, just a simple five stars should do it. You don't even have to overthink it. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Tuffrey. It was edited and mixed by Nicholas Feliciano. Jimmy Saunders did our theme music. Our cover art is by Naomi Lee Beveridge. And this whole thing has been a super real production. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.